Welcome to the Kingdom ROI, Return on Intention Show. I'm your host, Eric L. Dunavit, the Kingdom ROI Strategist. Families and businesses hire me to create, grow, and protect generational wealth by discovering that what they do in their family's living room matters more than what they do in their boardroom or advisor's conference room. On this show, I'm here to tell the stories of families and business owners who recognize that they didn't have a growth problem, they had a relationship and priority problem. We'll hear stories and the journey these families who recognize that business and financial growth weren't what mattered. They know that their relationships and priorities is what's going to determine their outcomes. So stick around to hear the hardships they've faced, the lessons they've learned, and the wisdom they wish they would have known along the way. Each story captures the blessings and the struggles of pursuing return on intention instead of return on investment. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the next 40 minutes where we take the world's broken mindsets and systems and turn them upside down. Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Return on Intention show. What another special day. I've got a special guest that is here and I could not be more excited about the work that he's done um, for the kingdom, um, being surrendered, being a man of faith who has just allowed the kingdom of God to come into his business. And you know that what we talk about here is the fact that generational abundance matters, but it really needs to be done from a perspective of what we call kingdom ROI or return on intention. And he truly has lived a life with an understanding that to achieve abundance, it's not about the next business or financial strategy. It is about acknowledging that what we do in our living rooms matters more than what we do in any conference or boardroom. So I am excited to dive more into his story. Bob Hassan, thank you so much for being here and welcome to the show. Thank you, Eric. I'm honored to be here and looking forward to talking to you. Yeah, let, let's just start with some simple stuff, if you don't mind. Tell my audience a little bit about you, you as a family man, you as a businessman, and just kind of your world. Well, I've been married to my wife, Lauren, for 35 years. We have two boys and two girls, and we have two grandkids. Uh, we live in San Diego, California, up in the North County, Uh I've been in business for 45 years uh, as a painting contractor. I started out um, painting in a Volkswagen bug with surf racks in order to hold ladders. <laughs> and now 45 years later, we have a mature company that are doing some of the biggest projects uh, in the country. Wow. Wow. What, what are you getting joy out of getting out of bed to do every day right now? The thing that gives me incredible joy is I built this great team at the office. And so I, I look forward to going, uh, into work and, and, uh, and being with my team and watching them succeed and watching them take the uh, morals and ethics and values that we've put into place and have it happen over and over and over again in the construction business. It is, uh, it, it's, it's hard to have, uh, have values and ethics. And we've managed to do that for a long time. And then on the other side, I have, you know, on the philanthropic side and I've, I've, my wife and I have a foundation that we're, we're able to just really, really enjoy, uh, 
uh, it's it's sort of the end of the year giving time, so we're looking forward to that. And um, I, I do some consulting, and and like you mentioned, I think you mentioned, I've written, I just released my third book, which is such a miracle to me. Hmm. Tell me more about that. Tell me why is it a miracle? Well, you know, I, I was, I'm a business guy and I, I had never really even written a long email before. And then in 2017, <laughs> my friend Danny Silk, you know, asked me, challenged me to write a book with him called The Business of Honor. And we went about trying to prove that uh, you can have honor in business and still make a profit. And, and, and the good news is you don't have to read the book. It's true. You can have honor in business and still make a profit. And then uh, mm -hmm. I wrote, a, I wrote a, my next book with my friend, Sean Bowles, about hearing God in the marketplace. How do we hear? And uh, most of us hear the Lord in just different ways. And so that book was, is, was really a fun project with Sean. And then my last book, Shortcuts, was, was written to an audience who are looking for shortcuts. And, and it's a really funny, it's a white cover with a red, red title that says shortcuts, but there's a black line through it. So the implication is really there's no shortcuts. <laughs> I love that. Bob, would it be okay? I want to, I want to spend a little bit of time about, can we talk about hearing God in the marketplace? Sure. Yeah. I would love to spend some time on that. And let, let's start with this. Maybe I think would be the best place to go as I, as I think about this, like, what did you have to learn about hearing God in the marketplace and maybe where, if, as you were on your own journey, I imagined you struggled in the beginning and maybe had some breakthrough. Could you maybe tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, in the beginning, now that's a long time ago, Eric, it's 45 years ago, but in the beginning, um, the Lord found me and I, I found his saving grace and I started my business in the same year. So I wasn't really compartmentalized. I, uh, it was sort of like, okay, I'm in this partnership with the Lord and, you know, I'm moving forward with the Lord. And, you know, in my Volkswagen bug, um, when, when I got a little bit busier than I thought I should be, I hired another guy. Jesus said, you know, he sent his disciples out two by two. So that's kind of how I built my businesses. Instead of hiring one more person, I hired two more people and okay. you know got another truck that kind of a thing but i've always had the ability to do the best i can to hear the lord for the circumstances i'm in one of the things that i like to talk about is not compartmentalizing and and so many times uh, you'll meet people who are uh, different at church different at work different at home different in social situations and I think we live this holistic life with the Lord Jesus to be the same, uh, submitted to the Lord and everywhere we go. So I'd love to answer your question by telling you a story. Um, I had practiced, I've practiced hearing God uh, in my life and in my business. And, and by the way, when I say that, I don't hear the James Earl Jones, you know, the Lord speaketh. I don't hear, I don't hear that voice, but I was in a very tough situation in a large job in Northern California where we had gone to mediation and, uh, my team and I flew up for a settlement conference and we ended up into the conference room 
And as we sat down, uh, the person on the other side just started screaming at us, yelling obscenities and, and uh, basically, um, you know, my adrenaline started pumping and he was saying, you're the worst contractors and, and the general contractor is the worst contractor. And my fight or flight syndrome just kind of happened. And I, I, I thought, okay, I'm either going to start crying because I grew up with an angry father or I'm going to come over the table of this guy. And yeah. in the midst of the yelling, the Lord said, or you could do this. And so what I did in the midst of this was I said, Joe, my team and I came in uh, with an attitude of goodwill to settle this dispute. But what I won't do is participate in a disrespectful conversation. And so my team and I are going to get up and we're going to walk out of this conference room for 15 minutes and you guys can make a decision whether you want to continue. And so we walked out and, uh, you know, uh, I was shaking. My team was mad. They wanted to get on a plane and just go back uh, to Southern California. But I was said, I said, no, we're just going to wait. And when we walked back in, before I sat down, Joe said, Bob, I'm so sorry. I don't normally conduct business this way. Um, it's out of my character. Will you forgive me? <laughs> and I said, of course, Joe, I know this is a giant project and I know you must be under a tremendous amount of strain. And I know that this dispute has caused strain also, and I would love to. So we sat down and in 10 minutes, we, uh, we, we got this years long dispute settled. And I think the reason I'm telling you the story is it's a great business story like, oh, but, but what it was for me is I had practiced listening to the Lord in good times so that when I got into a situation that was really, uh, I, let's say traumatic, for me it was traumatic because I don't like getting yelled at. I was able to hear the voice of the Lord tell me that there's another option. And, and so that is sort of what I mean about um, partnering with God and hearing his voice in business. Yeah. But I think what is so unique, Bob, and you've got to recognize this, right? This is not the way the rest of the world does business. It's not the way the rest of this compartmentalization is kind of this natural thing we're told to do, but that's not the way that God designed us. So was it, <clears throat> did this come naturally for you? Where did you, where did you first kind of recognize that maybe you were different in the way that you were approaching it, where you weren't compartmentalizing it, but everyone else was, and you noticed the uniqueness of that? That's an interesting question because as you grow older, you recognize what you know, and you sort of think everybody else knows that same stuff. And, and so I didn't think that, the ability that I had not to compartmentalize was any different than anyone else where it's began to show up is as I met people and consulted with people and talked to people about their businesses, I, I begin to see that sort of disconnect. And so for me, I, I think about this Solomon asked for wisdom. And when Solomon asked for wisdom, the Lord was pleased I didn't necessarily ask for uh, the ability not to compartmentalize, but I think the Lord saw that and, and put his hand on it and blessed it. 
because I'm the guy, Eric, I've, I've made so many mistakes. And when, when we talk about wisdom, uh, my definition of wisdom is it's the person in the room who's made the most mistakes and is willing to share about them. That's where wisdom comes from. Amen. Amen. That, that's so important. As you were, let me ask you this. So did you do a great job? Cause we haven't talked about this in not compartmentalizing your marriage and your business or your kids and your business. Did you find yourself making mistakes along those ways? You were growing the business. Of course, you know, our kids, my oldest uh, is 38 and my youngest uh, daughter is 26. So we have a big spread between the four children. And as I was building the business, my oldest son um, got less of me. And at a certain point, you know, my wife came to me and said, look, I feel like you've abandoned the family. And this is something that we've worked through in therapy over the years. Um, uh, construction starts early. So I was up and out early in the morning, but then, you know, uh, kind of disconnected and early to bed. And those years mm -hmm. of building a business are, um, they're tremendously stressful as you're, you know, in the early days, I, I'm remembering having 10 credit cards in able in, in order to make payroll. And yeah. as a consultant now, I would never, I would never, you know, say, yeah, just get every <laughs> credit card you can and max them out so you can make payroll. But that I did not have a credit line at that point in time. And, and, and that's sort of how I had to operate my business. So there was a lot of stress related to it and the constant threat of, of failure or bankruptcy was there. And it took, you know, decades, probably three decades until the business was up on its own running. And, and I felt, I felt more secure, but to your question about, yeah, yeah, it, it affects your marriage. Now I I'm married to a very powerful, beautiful woman whose dad was an entrepreneur and a businessman. And, and so she knew uh, from growing up what it was like uh, being married to someone or being in a family where there was a family business. And she really understood and supported me. She's, boy, Eric, she's the strength that has caused me to be able to go on, you know, to continue on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you think about kind of your relationship with Lauren, one of the things I guess I would ask is, I've seen a lot of like compartment, your wife had the experience of being raised by an entrepreneur. I've seen a right. lot of um, business owners who are told like, don't mix your marriage and what's going on for, with business, which then can almost sometimes like if you're struggling in business or things like that can lead us to hide, you know, I mean, even inside of ourselves versus like, Hey, here are the things that are going on. And for, I, I've also, my wife's name is angel. She's got a lot of business acumen of being able to kind of understand what's happening how did that play itself out as you're going through these three decades of not only with your kids, but with Lauren and kind of growing the business with her having that entrepreneurial background? Well, uh, there's sort of a dramatic uh, story that Lauren and I have. First of all, in our marriage, we early decided we would, we would make every major decision together, whether it was in our personal lives and our family around our marriage or around the business. So yeah. she's not active in the business, but every major decision, uh, in the business she's been a part of. So there was a time, this is, you'll, you'll like this because, uh, 
at that point in time, half of our annual sales became uncollectible. A bunch of general contractors went bankrupt. So I did the Christian thing and I isolated from my wife and from my kids and from my friends. And I just decided to work harder to try to fix the problem. And finally, after let's, let's call it 30 days, I walked in uh, from work and Lauren was standing in the kitchen. She said, honey, we really need to talk. Are we okay? Are you okay? Mm. And I sort of like to control things and I hadn't figured out how to, how to fix this problem yet. And I said, I said, babe, I'm just having these problems at work. And I outlined all this stuff that happened. And she said, oh, wow. I thought our relationship was, you know, in trouble. And then she said this, she said, why would God have brought us this far to have you fail? He is not going to have you fail. I think God is going to give you some fantastic ideas about how to work out of this process. And that interaction with her gave me so much courage that I was able to sit with her and architect out a plan to, to work out of the situation that we we're in that ended up taking five years, but, but we were able to work out of it. And, and so, you know, since that time, I've tried my darndest not to isolate when I'm having problems, but to go to her and say, look, this is what's going on. And, you know, I'm scared or I'm nervous and I, I need you, I need your help. And I need you to pray with me about this. The, what is so interesting to me about that, Bob, though, is like, you. I hope you recognize like that is the exception, not the rule. Um, when I've done that with my wife, like I've found people looking at me like I was crazy, but it is, as you said, it's the mo it's one of the most powerful dynamics that God gives us as business owners. I mean, scripture is very clear. The two become one flesh and I don't know why it is as entrepreneurs and maybe you've got any comment on that. Why do we forget that so easily? I think, I think we think business is something that it's not. What I love about your return on intention, Eric, is that it's about relationships. And if we're honest, if we look into our businesses and our business issues, 99% of them are not technical, they're relational. We're trying to win work. We're trying to work out HR problems. We're trying to work out employee problems or vendor or, or customer problems. They're all relational. And so who better uh, in, in the entire world to understand relationships than our wives. Um, they're, that's, they're amazing at it. And in, a, in addition to their intellect. So I don't know why that is. Uh, I remember being at a party and, uh, this billionaire friend of mine was talking about this relational problem he was having in business and his wife walked up. And she said, hey, what are you guys talking about? And he looked at her and sort of dismissed her and said, business. And she said, oh, mm -hmm. and she walked away. And I remember looking and thinking, gosh, she probably could solve this problem in two seconds. And right. here we are, you know, a bunch of men trying to trying to figure it out. And she she would have known the answer. So I think that's something that we have to break the stigma uh, that that um, our wives aren't capable of helping us through business. I know my wife is, and I, 
she's my most trusted advisor. I would agree with you. So is mine. I mean, it's, um, I, and I imagine you've got other stories like she saved me from so many mistakes, things that I was intent on doing that I would have done wrong if I wouldn't have had her speak into. Yes, exactly. Um, as you get to consult and work with other business owners right now, is it this compartmentalization? What is the number one thing that you feel like is holding business owners back right now from their God-given potential? Well, let's talk about the poverty mentality a little bit. Mm-hmm. And Sure, please. I, and I think, I think that God has given people, you know, great ideas and great businesses. And, and I, what I tend to see is people butting up against what their view of success is and failure and not taking the next step because, uh, because they're, they're in this sort of poverty mentality that says, I can't go from, let's make this up a million in sales to 10 million in sales or 10 million to a hundred million or to a billion dollars in sales because there's limiting beliefs and limiting factors in, uh, in their view of God. What I know about God is, uh, not only does he own the cattle on 10,000 Hills, he owns all the Hills. So why not us? And I think that when I'm talking to entrepreneurs and business people who are trying to build uh, generational wealth, they're not certain that generational wealth is of the Bible. And I know it's interesting Mm -hmm. being on this podcast with you because this is what you do. And this is what this podcast is about. That's right. That's right. What do you think has to change for men and women of faith, men and women who follow Christ to begin to awaken to the abundance that God actually wants for us versus the poverty mentality? I mean, like maybe like that's maybe a bigger question, like what needs to change, but where does it start? Where, where are the beginning steps? Maybe somebody's listening. Who's like, yeah, that's me. I'm stuck there. Where, where do you kind of start that conversation? For me, I'm going to go all the way back to who, what is our identity? we are loved sons and daughters of God. So if positionally you believe that you're a loved son or daughter of God, then logically it does not matter. You could be in jail on, on, on this side or on this side, you, you could achieve your wild success and dreams. Positionally, you're a loved son and daughter of God. And, and with that knowledge, Obviously, hopefully we're not in jail, but if we do make mistakes, if we do, when we sin, we have the ability to come back to the center and recognize that God loves us, that shame isn't a part uh, of, of our, of, of what we're speaking to ourselves in our minds, um, that discouragement isn't that part that, that he is love, that he loves us and is proud of us. As Jesus was getting baptized, uh, the dove came down and there was a voice that said, this is my son who I'm well pleased or proud of. And if we take that step that we are those same sons and daughters that God has created and is proud of. So in order to break um, a a lot of stuff, especially uh, poverty mentality, we need to recognize that positionally we are, we're loved sons and daughters of God. I I can't say it enough. Our identity is so shaken by 
whether we think we've uh, attained uh, this amount of success or we haven't attained it yet, or whether our marriage is good today or whether it's, or whether it's hard. There's seasons for all of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That identity is so important to really just kind of recognize and believe who we are, that God has put us here to live in his kingdom. Um, one of the things that's been on my mind lately, and I didn't, I'm going to take this maybe a little bit of a different direction, but I would love to kind of get your perspective on this. Um, in business and the ability to, especially for believers, to recognize our position inside a business to lead for his kingdom. One of the things I've been noticing is um, there's a lot, unfortunately, a lot less people going to church than we've seen in the past. People who've been leaving, who've been leaving organized religion, so to speak. Um, but a lot of business owners who are being called to raise up their businesses as believers and use that as a ministry. What are you seeing right now inside of business owners? I mean, I truly believe that some of the next great um, transformation that happens spiritually could happen through business owners who, and going back to identity, who recognize their calling and recognize their identity inside of that role as a business owner. Yeah, that very fact, my friend Sean Bowles had a word in 2018 that the next major move of God was going to come through the marketplace or through business. And, um, you know, he's a friend of mine, but when I hear him speak prophetically like that, I, I listen. And that was actually what, what was the genesis for us writing our book, Wired to Hear, which is hearing the voice of God. And, and we have a podcast called Exploring the Marketplace where we talk to business owners and we just hear, hear their stories of what God has done. And, and I think understanding through, through stories, what God has done is, is the power that's going to bring us into that, uh, that word. It, it's really interesting, Eric. I, people have asked me about, well, you know, do you evangelize at work? And yeah, by not saying much, by, by not using words. It's, it's so funny. I feel like if I'm bent towards the father, then everyone that I come in contact with is going to see the father through me, uh, whether I'm, I'm using words or not. And so uh, people that work for me that aren't believers are seeing care and seeing compassion and seeing uh, me understand who they are and know what their wives and their, and their kids' names are and, and their grandkids and their pets or whatever they're interested in. It's by me moving towards them. And I think as business owners, we have this incredible ability to extend the reach of Jesus uh, by who we are, by being salt and light, by being the light on top of a hill and mm -hmm. still being able to produce, still being able to get uh, the other ROI and, and still being able to, to build our businesses by relationally, which is what you're talking about. Return on intention is, is relationally based. Yeah. It's, um, your youngest, that's 26. Is that a son or daughter? Just a daughter. Curiosity. Yeah. A daughter. I don't know what the experience is. I've got a son who's 22 and you're just talking about the relationship side of this, but a lot of 
the frustration that I see in the younger generation over capitalism, so to speak, or business, or it has centered on the fact that I feel like a lot of businesses have gone away from the relationship and are simply focused on the profit. And I th what you're just talking about is so powerful because as businesses, and especially as believers, as we come back to understanding the importance of relationship, I think it also changes the dynamic with this younger generation as they come to work. And I've watched people come to work with us that are of the younger generation, whereas we pour into relationship that seems to make the difference. Are you seeing that as well? Yeah, because we live in a, a transactional society and I don't think the younger generations uh, are interested in the transactional process anymore. I think it is relational. Younger people want to know that they're working for a company that cares, uh, that has maybe a social justice cause. And, and I think when, when people feel like they're cared for, well, listen to this. In 2012, Google did this study called Project Aristotle. You're going to love this. Project Aristotle. They wanted to find out why the hyper, highest performing Google teams were the highest performing teams. So they spent millions of dollars on this study. And this is what they found out. When they came to the end of the study, they found out that the highest performing teams cared for each other. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so how do, how do you quantify that? How do you, how do you as a company say, okay, teams care for each other. There has to be right. a, some type of culture shift, but it goes right to the point that you just made that, that, that people are looking for relational equity in a company. Mm. Mm. That's so important. How, so you mentioned this at the beginning, you're getting a little bit with your foundation. And I know from, um, from reading your book, you were talking about how God just spoke over you, this, this calling to be a philanthropist and to be a giver and to be generous. As we come into the end of the year with that thought on your mind, um, what are the causes that you and Lauren and the family maybe are most excited about making the biggest impact in locally, globally, around the world? Um, I'd love to just kind of hear what God's putting on your heart on that front. Well, we have, you know, silos of, of in our, at our end of year giving, we, we have silos. We, we, we look at, um, we look at the lost. So we look at orphans. We look at, we, we look at widows. We look at the silo of education. Where, where are we going with, with Christian education? Um, obviously the church, the local church who, who, who is, who is doing the work. And we, we continue to look down these silos of evangelism. How is the word of God getting out to the unreached? And, uh, so, so we have these categories and, and it's, it's really cool. Our controller about five or six years ago created this end of the year worksheet for us that, you know, that we get, every year and we get to look and see what, what did we do the last, the previous years and where's God leading us in, in the future years. And the story that you, the story that you're talking about, about me, I had a word spoken over me that I would be a philanthropist and I didn't even know what that was. I thought I, I did, it was, it was pretty funny, but basically somebody who's a philanthropist loves to give money. And, and so Lauren and I in our 35 years, 
we don't really track what our tax return says. We, we track what our giving trend says. And it's been our goal, you know, every year to give more than the last year. So, so it's just become the end of the year has just become this really, really exciting time for us to see, you know, what is God going to speak to us and how are we going to, how are we going to implement, you know, what he's speaking to us in the causes that we, that really are near and dear to us. Now, I, there's two things that you said without saying them that I want to say while we're on the show here. Um, I love the fact that, um, you know, we're created in the image of God. God was a creator. Therefore, we are called to be creators. And so as business owners, one of the things that I found is there's not a greater calling than to be an entrepreneur because we're so much in line with our father when we're creating. But the other thing that is in alignment with our creator that, again, I love what you're talking about is the generosity component because God so loved the world that he gave. Exactly. And so God is a giver. So we're never more into, we're never more in tune with our heavenly father than when we're creating and we're being generous because that's who he is. Mm-hmm. And John three sixteen, I use that all the time, Eric, as uh, when talking about generosity, because we are in his kingdom because of his generosity that his son would have been pierced and hung and die for us is like, are you kidding me? Like, and, and you're going to give <laughs> eternal life. Look, a business deal is like, it's a no brainer, but because yeah. he gave, he gave with generosity, then it just gives us the ability to be generous back. And, and I love that you brought that up because I think that's the, heart of generosity is what the Lord did for us. Well, and his gift was extravagant. So before we go, I'm sure you've got one. I didn't prepare you for this, but tell me your favorite giving story. And I don't need you to give amounts, but one of those things where it like the gift almost looked impossible, but God redeemed it in a way like just the gift that came back from him um, was also a surprise. Let me say this. I, I can't prove this, but I've talked to thousands and thousands of, of people about generosity and giving. And if every successful person that I've ever talked to, they track back their success to increase generosity. And some of the most brilliant people that I've ever met, 50 pound brains, these guys are, are men and women are amazing. But they always come back to when when we when we decided to become generous over the 10% tithe and see generosity as our calling, that's when our businesses exploded. And and I wish I could prove it. I wish I could prove it to the young people who who say, look, I can't afford to give because I because my personal budget is tight, I'm upside down. Um, my income is fixed and my expenses, I've got them as low as I can, and I can't afford to give. The people that I have been able to encourage start a generosity program, even if it's a dollar a week, just start. You'll see that God will bless it over and over again. And I've watched people come from being in, you know, IRS debt and credit card debt to starting a giving program, which focused them on their finances and allowed them to really see uh, the implication of, of that finances are a blessing from God, allowed them 
to b become to be really, really generous people after decades. And the one thing about this is it's a process. It just doesn't happen overnight. You don't, you don't, you're not a millionaire overnight and you don't start giving a million dollars away overnight. It's a process. And, and we have to just be in ready for the journey of this with God. Amen. Amen. That's so good. Bob, we're going to run out of time here soon. Um, I want to give you a chance to talk about some other things, but before we do, this is my, this is my favorite question. Um, let me give you just a second to think about it though. And so in, in three generations, what do you hope your great grandchildren remember about you? And while you're thinking about that, the idea of this question is you probably won't have a relationship with your great grandchildren, right? You have a relationship with your grandchildren, but you may not live long enough. Does it, so what do you hope they remember about you? Well, I hope that they know that the legacy that was passed to them was a result of Jesus Christ, both, mm. both, both a cultural legacy, a spiritual legacy and a financial legacy that, that that has happened, that my wife and I have done a good job with our children, that they stewarded, um, they stewarded all those gifts to their children who stewarded all those gifts to their children. And, mm. and, and so they might not know what I look like, or maybe they'll see old pictures and like, look at that guy. But, <laughs> but hopefully they'll know that the legacy of Jesus has passed down to them and given them the blessing in all those different areas. No, oh, I love that. I love that. If somebody listening to the show wants to get in touch with you, wants to get copies of your book, Shortcuts is the latest book that's out. I've, I have read about half of it so far myself. I'm just going to tell you guys it is amazing. And I've read Bob's other two books. You definitely want to get a copy of those. Um, but Bob, where can people get in touch with you and kind of follow what you're doing? Um, I have a website, bobhassan.com. And I'm on Instagram a lot at Bob Hassan. And, um, okay. and the books are on Amazon. It's easy. Ah, well, go get them because I'm going to tell you what, not only Bob did not have enough time to tell all his stories in here. He's got some incredible stories, some incredible experiences. But Bob, what I'm most impressed with is your willingness to just be surrendered and sold out to what God is doing and the blessing of your own return on intention through your life. The other thing I'm going to give a little bit of a plug for you did earlier, but your podcast with Sean Boltz, um, Exploring the Marketplace. Um, also just another place to get incredible wisdom of people who are living a life of return on intention. So Bob, thank you so much for, if you got something else you want to share before yeah, we wrap up, I, I just wanted to thank you. It's an honor being here and seeing the work that you're doing and the lives that you're uh, impacting. And uh, I, I loved our time together. Yeah, I did too. I did too. Bob, thank you so much for being here, everyone. It has been a pleasure being with you for another episode of the Return on Intention show. As you know, what I do is run an invitation-only program that helps faith-based business owners create lives to grow and protect their generational abundance by minimizing the over 50% of destruction of wealth that happens during our lifetimes, and then again, after we pass away. So I've got several tips and examples that can help you grow your wealth by discovering that you don't need another business or financial strategy. What you need is like the stuff that Bob and I talked about today. You need to acknowledge that what you're doing in your living room matters more than what you're doing in any conference or boardroom. So as you go out and pursue a life that God has for you, make sure that you focus on return on intention. Thank you everyone for being here. God bless you. Have a fantastic day.
Thank you so much for joining me for the Kingdom ROI Return on Intention podcast. If you're a business owner or a family who recognizes that what you're doing in your family's living room matters more than what you do in the boardroom or advisors' conference rooms, you're open to sharing the ups and downs of the journey and would like to be a guest on the show, then I'd like to invite you to apply by visiting our website, www.kingdomroi.org. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show, and they mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, www.kingdomroi.org, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening. This is Eric L. Dunavant, the Kingdom ROI Strategist, signing off. Until next time.